Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Eric Boggs, who's the founder and CEO of RevBoss. Eric, how you doing? Doing very well, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Why don't we start with a quick elevator pitch for RevBoss? We are a Legion software and service company. We work with SaaS companies and marketing agencies to grow their sales pipeline and, and grow faster. Uh, we provide all the data, all the software, all the expertise, all the integration, very much kind of flip us on and the leads start flowing. So tactically, what does that look like if I'm a customer? So if I come to you with startup competitors, for example, and say, I would love to use RevBoss, what is, walk me through what that looks like for me. Yeah. The, it, so the prospecting is all done via email. Uh, there's a lot more that kind of goes into it, but the sort of steps are pretty simple. Uh, we work with our clients to really understand who their target customer is and frequently our clients will come to us with a very clear picture of that. Also frequently they'll come to us with no idea uh, or they'll think that they know, but they actually don't know. And so right, that, that last one would probably be me. <laughs> well, that's part of the discovery process, particularly with early stage companies or, or small companies that are trying to grow. We help our clients kind of understand that and, you know, wrap our arms around that segment of the market or, or multiple segments of a market and basically build email prospecting campaigns that turn those cold prospects into engaged email replies that can turn into product demos and meetings and opportunities and deals. And a lot of it, you know, is, you know, we've been doing this for a while now, hundreds of clients, we kind of know where to get the right data, how to make it do the things that we needed to do. Uh, we're very good at the messaging and strategy piece that can take a cold prospect and get them from zero to, to a hand raise. And we've made a lot of investments in software so that, uh, you know, we've, we've got, you know, RevBoss is the company. It's also the product. And, and so RevBoss runs everything um, in the cloud. And so there's a lot of automation and a lot of data and a lot of integration with our client systems to make sure that the whole thing runs Super fast and super seamless. And then, how is RevBoss priced? Uh, it, it varies. We we work in two different models. Most of our clients, probably eighty percent of our revenue, is flat fee managed service, where our clients pay us uh, on a subscription model, and it starts at uh, two grand a month and, and ranges up, uh, and that factors in all of the prospect data, software subscription, data integration, account manager time and execution and onboarding. And, you know, we'll do month to month agreements, six month contracts, 12 month contracts. It kind of varies depending on what the client needs. We also work in a pay for performance model with, with sort of clients that we've worked with for a while or in special cases where clients will pay us a very low monthly subscription. And we basically work on spec and we get paid when we generate leads or meetings that meet sort of very specific criteria that we, we work hard to define with our clients. And so it certainly, uh, you know, working with us is cheaper and faster than hiring a salesperson and, you know, training and, and onboarding and all that kind of thing. I'm just genuinely curious about this. If you think about on your customer side in terms of what makes a good customer, 
for you guys heuristically, what is that? What are some of the demographics or common things that you see that like when you see that the customer has this, you know, it's going to be a complete win. That could be something like, you know, a sales team that is ready, has, has experience receiving a, a warm lead, like what you're handing them, or could be some other thing that I, I can't even think about that, that would make them a good fit for you. Like, what are some of those things that you guys look forward to say, oh yeah, this is going to be a great account. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. We've we've had a really good uh, run over the past 12, 18 months. And one of uh, a handful of reasons for that is that we've finally cracked that code a little bit of understanding what a good client looks like. Uh, we've gotten to be a lot more selective about who we work with. And, and a lot of good things have happened as a result. Happier clients, better renewals. You know, clients that want to buy more from us because they're happy and successful, and it there are a lot of factors that go into into that. But ultimately, the first thing we look at is our you know who who is our client's client, and you know is it a big enough market? Is it a market that we have experience uh, working in? Uh, a, a good bad example would be uh, we want to sell to Fortune 500 CMOs. It's like okay, great. Well, there's you know maybe 1,500 of them. And the whole universe wants to sell to the chief marketing officer at Kraft Foods. She's super busy, and she's probably not going to respond to your email. So we we tend to not like to work with those types of clients. Versus, I you know I had a meeting this morning with a local entrepreneur here in Durham, and he's building a software product that sells into dental offices, and they do procurement software. And that sounds like a great market for us because there's a million dentist offices offices out there and they're not getting prospected to death. And we've seen success with sort of local practice type of clients in the past. So those are two good examples. So you know market size matters, you know, to the extent that the species as an overhunted species matters. And, and moreover, <laughs> we we just know that small mid-sized e-commerce, great market for us. Sort of small Mid-size, lower enterprise, HR, diversity, and inclusion, those types of uh, markets are very good for us. Marketing tends to work well. Kind of founder to founder works well. Generic SMB owner works well. And so it's it's kind of challenging for us sometimes because we it's hard for us to find target uh, companies based on that criteria, right? It, the, the world doesn't segment itself by... Who it sells to, the world seg- segments itself and kind of who it is, and and so that that is often a challenge for us. And you you kind of hit on some of the other things that we care a lot about is you know having somebody on the client side that can actually sell matters a lot. Uh, we can do a super duper good job on our part of it, but if we hand a great lead off to someone that can't sell themselves out of a wet paper bag, well then it's just not going to be successful. And so those are the kind of things that we look for as well. How much does responsiveness matter in there in terms of the time for when you either hand off the lead or set up the appointment versus when the client that you're handing it off to can actually get back to them? Do you do you have any visibility into that or it, once you hand it off, it's kind of a black box from that point? Um, we have anecdotal visibility to it. And obviously, uh, time is of the essence with any of this kind of stuff, you know, when the way our process works, 
we'll see the good stuff come through and we route it over very quickly. You know, we're typically forwarding an email to our client. We're triggering an action in their CRM. We might be triggering email notifications to other people. So when we do tag something to say, hey, send this to the client, there are multiple alarm bells going off on our client side that says, hey, incoming from RefBoss, do something with it. We certainly coach our clients to follow up as quickly as possible. And this gets back to the comment about experienced sales operators. A lot of times we'll work with a client that's like, oh, yeah, um, we did see that lead. Uh, I emailed them yesterday. You know, maybe a lead that we handed off last week. It's like, oh, yeah, I emailed them yesterday. They haven't emailed back. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's one way to do it. Uh, the right way to do it is respond as soon as we send it over. And don't respond with an email. Pick up the phone and call them because their phone number is probably in the email signature. So there are certainly you know right ways and, and wrong ways to do it. And time is a big piece of it. But I would argue that persistence is probably more important than timeliness. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Hit me with some current stats. Any sort of any metrics you can share about RevBoss that could be revenue, number of employees, uh, number of leads that you've generated for clients, number of clients, anything that would paint a picture for our listeners on where you and your team are at on the journey? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So coming up on a $2 million run rate, 15-ish employees coming up on 100-ish clients past kind of the, the startup and well into the like, you know, growing early stage uh, type of company. Most of our team here is uh, on sort of the client facing side. You know, we're, we're a little bit of a weird, weird animal because we're not a SaaS company, although we have a SaaS product and we charge a subscription, but we're also not like a marketing agency where it's all kind of creative and, and net new work every time we execute the exact same process for every client. Software is a huge piece of it. So we, we, you know, I manage the business like we're a SaaS company. Our gross margins are, are closer to a SaaS company than marketing agency. Uh, but most of our headcount is actually in uh, client success. Like every every client that we work with has an account manager or account management team that does all the work. We write all the messaging, all the prospecting, all of the sort of response management and integration building and, and the whole deal. And so it's very much kind of a, a different type of growth business. And I'll tell you, like I've, I've worked in other SaaS companies. I've been exposed to kind of traditional agency services type businesses, both through consulting I've done and some of the clients that we have. And uh, we kind of bumbled our way into it at RevBoss, but being this like weird tech enabled, high margin managed service business is kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to have an army of software engineers you know, the product that we're building is core to the business, but you don't have to worry about every single weird UI edge case and all these other things uh, that you otherwise would if you're kind of building production software because our users are all internal. Right. And so we'll ship something and we'll break the app and we're like, oh, okay, well, roll that back. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a very different type of development and a very different type of kind of product planning process. And it's kind of cool. And it's been a learning experience for me. And it's been kind of a a different way to grow the business. How did you 
get started with RefBoss? Why RefBoss? What's the origin story? Oh man, that's a that's a winding chestnut. Uh, so <laughs> I had started a previous company, uh, had a lot of success, and then imploded for a lot of reasons. Uh, part of which was bad decision making on my part, and you know that was one of a handful of factors. After as that kind of crashed on itself, uh, I started doing consulting, and initially it was just like, hey, I know a lot about building SaaS companies. Hire me if you need help and helped a lot of different good companies solve a lot of problems. And, and over time, found myself focusing more and more on the front end of the sales process and uh, just kind of stumbled into lead gen as a function that we kind of specialized in and went from just me to building a team, went from me and just a team of worker bees to investing in software to kind of what we are today through a lot of kind of different iterations and very much organic in, in kind of our approach and still uh, organic in terms of we'll do something and it'll work great. And the team here will make sure that everybody else knows what's going on. And hey, I figured out this idea. Let's kind of see if it can work for other clients as well. And it's certainly been a, a process for sure. And then I, I have to ask, do you use RevBoss? for RevBoss? We do. We do. We RevBoss for RevBoss uh, quite successfully, actually. About half of our revenue, maybe a little bit more, all comes from client referrals, which is amazing. Good for you. That is amazing. And then about 25, 28% comes from RevBossing. And that that's increased from probably half that about a year ago. We've, you know, I, I mentioned we've kind of had a really good run the past 12 months and a lot of that is just kind of improvements in our product that have enabled us to kind of better serve our clients. And so we're investing more in growth. And one of the big areas where we've gotten smarter and gotten better is eating our own dog food. And so, you know, we'll generate, you know, 40 to, you know, 65 leads a month. And we're trying to increase that to, you know, 80 to 100 leads a month uh, through our own prospecting efforts. And it converts at a, you know, converts at a nice clip. And we've seen those clients not just convert, but convert into happy clients that stick around for a long time. Yeah, it's a little bit meta, right? If you rev boss me and get me on the phone, uh, there's there's almost this kind of like, well, look, we're talking to you. I know. <laughs> Clearly, it works. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and we've we have like gone through so many messaging iterations. I will share a dirty secret. Uh, the current like top performing RevBoss email flow is from November 2018, and we have not touched it. Like it just keeps working. That's awesome. You would think that like we're like super magicians and like and uh, like experimenting and changing and doing all these things, and, and we are for our clients. We constantly are pushing the envelope and trying to. And we're, we're often forced to figure it out because like the machine isn't going or we're not getting the output. But we've figured out this uh, this one set of messaging for one vertical in particular uh, where it's been running for <laughs> like 14, you know, 14 months now or 15 months. And we've, we've done nothing outside of kind of edge case kind of tweaks and changes. And uh, in uh, other versions of messaging, we've actually have sort of made reference to like, 
you, this email that you have received from us is a demo of our offering. If you like it, let's talk. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it works. And that type of transparency and, I don't know, forthrightness, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, has served us well. And that's kind of the way we like to represent our clients too, is just, you know, just open and honest about who you are and why you're reaching out. When you look at the landscape around you, who do you think of when I say, tell me about the competitors in your space, who or what comes to mind? I mean, there are definitely plenty of companies that do things like we do, and they range from old school phone prospecting to kind of like what, what I was when we started the company to like one or, you know, one person consulting company that's just good at making things go. Ultimately, what we find we compete against more than anything is just kind of the status quo inside of the prospects that we're selling into uh, and kind of their their problems. And that's not to say that we have no competitors or we're dominating the market. That's that's far from the case. There, there are certainly competitors that, that directly do things that are very similar. But we try to not play that game and try to sort of compete with ourselves and compete with, you know, kind of our client's resource allocation process, right? And it's like, oh, are you going to hire somebody or are you going to work with RefBoss? Are you going to pour more money into AdWords or are you going to pour more money into RefBoss? Like that's, that's the real kind of competitive pressure that we face more so than, than kind of direct market competitors. And it's in large part because what we do is is largely a universal problem. <laughs> like any business that's trying to grow is probably going to have some sort of pipeline problem along the way. Um, whether you're very early stage or a you know a publicly traded behemoth, what we do matters. And there are certainly cases where we are sort of the the single propeller on our clients growth machine. And then there are plenty of cases where we are one of many engines on the jet. And those other engines on the jet might be sort of directly or indirectly competitive to us. And and that's fine. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. What are the, like, like I'm tr- thinking of ways, as you talk, I'm constantly thinking of ways to take what you're saying and apply it to some of our businesses. So one of the things that you just said is really interesting. What are the other things that I could be doing as a client that would be supportive and complementary to what you're doing with RevBoss, right? So meaning like if... Is there remarketing that I could be doing to the same people that you're reaching out to, to where they're seeing our brand in a bunch of different places? So when the email comes through from RevBoss, it's, you know, it's something that they've seen three or four times. How, how much of that can you do strategically with a client to coordinate across some of the other efforts that they're doing? Yeah, then you actually 
you've kind of nailed on one very obvious obvious thing that we we do a lot of. We coach some of our clients to do. Some of our clients are sort of way ahead of us in terms of sophistication. Others like don't know what kind of cross-channel coordination and targeting means, and that's fine. Uh, but a great example is we have a you know with a when we work with a client, we have a pile of email addresses, and you can take those email addresses and feed them into AdRoll. You can feed them into Facebook. You can feed them into LinkedIn, and turn them into advertising audiences. And you can show ads before you send email, during the email process, after the email process. And there is some sort of multiplier there. It, you know, it doesn't triple the impact, but it has a positive sort of a positive lift on the impact of what we do. It's, it's really hard to kind of quantify, particularly with our clients where we don't have control over everything. But I will say that we, we run ad role retargeting on revboss.com. It performs at a certain rate. We also run uh, ad role. They call it CRM retargeting, but basically like give them an email address and we'll match it to a cookie and show ads. We run that CRM retargeting through ad role with every email address that we prospect through RevBoss. And the performance metrics are about the same. Hmm. So, so the site retargeting and our email retargeting for for lack of a better description, the click-through rate is, I mean, I haven't checked in, in a while. But last I checked, it kind of surprised me. Like, oh, wow, this actually works as, about as well as our site retargeting. Granted, it's like banner ad performance where it's like 0. 0.00001, <laughs> you know, click-through rate. But the volume is there such that it's like, oh, this is actually meaningful. You know, that is one very obvious way that, that you know, with the right type of client, we kind of coach them on that. And, you know, we've, we haven't productized it, although we've, we should, and it's always like been in our like things to productize at some point list is kind of baking that into a kind of add-on service for our clients. It's, it's, it's not terribly hard to do, but for a lot of our clients, they have no idea how to do it uh, and, and we could do it for them. But to more broadly answer the question... Um, we did a really smart thing a long time ago and we decided not to build native integrations with Salesforce, HubSpot, et cetera. Instead, we just built a Zapier app and we've continued to improve the Zapier product that we've built. And because of that, we can integrate with everything and we can push RepBoss data in a thousand different places and we can do it different for every single client. And that's been incredibly valuable. Uh, for us in the sales process because, you know, a prospect will say, well, can you integrate with this? And it's like, well, yeah. And we can also kind of push this data and, you know, we can, we can make it do whatever you want. And it's also helped us kind of pull data out of our client systems to better understand our performance and attribution. And, and so, you know, to, to answer the question in a long and super rambly way, yeah, we, we do try to work with our clients to make sure that the data that we generate, both in terms of activity and just kind of raw prospect data, is getting leveraged through other systems and other processes. Awesome. When you're selling a prospect, how often are they just talking to you versus they're looking at... And this kind of goes back to other competitors in the space, right? Are, are they often just talking to you or are they look, or when they talk to you, are they telling you, no, we're looking at this solution, this solution, and this solution, where you know one of those solutions could be the independent consultant, one of them could be hiring another salesperson, one of them could, you know, whatever. How often are you part of a, a conversation around a bunch of different options versus, oh, I heard about RevBoss, I'd like to learn more, let's give it a try. Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I do know that if we are prospecting someone, it's almost always like, oh, yeah, okay. I do have that problem. Let's talk. And in that case, it's do I trust RevBoss and should I move this conversation forward versus like, yeah, I guess sometimes we'll email somebody and they'll be in the middle of a process and we kind of become a part of it and maybe we're evaluated against a few options. But, you know, if you're finding us through search, you might be looking at other things. But I honestly don't know the answer to that question for, for our team. If I want to run the RevBoss experiment, how long do I have to give it to give it a fair shake? I can imagine this is a type of thing where you could be 30 days in and from your perspective on your side, you're like, oh, yeah, we just got great data. We're learning. Let us go tweak and move some things and try these things. Uh, and, you know, 60 days from now, this thing's just going to be humming along. Whereas on my side, as the customer, I might be thinking, man, 30 days, we've only gotten a couple of leads. Is this really yeah. worth it? Talk about that a little bit. Like, the, you know, my expectation as a customer versus when do you feel like you guys really start to hum for a client? Yeah, I mean, we, we live and die by that, right? Um the first 30 days with a client, two weeks of that is onboarding, which is, all right, let's make sure we understand who it is you want to sell to and what are the what's the job title, what's the industry, what's the not the industry, what are the, all the other things we need to take into consideration so that we, when we pull this first batch of 500 prospects, it's like prime choice targeting. Uh, and then let's write messaging around that and review it and make sure it's good. And we'll usually like to start with two versions. So there's an initial two weeks where nothing happens, right? We're just kind of building the foundation of the machine. And then once we flip it on, we're frequently priming new inboxes and new domains. And so volume is going to be super low. Like our, our first sort of milestone is birthing a healthy baby, which is mm. inboxes that will deliver and, you know, show an open rate of, you know, 30 plus percent. And that in and of itself is like a delicate process. And so, you know, it might, you know, 30 days in, we, there probably is nothing to show yet. And so beyond that, as we start to dial up volume, then it's like, is the messaging working? It's like, oh, it is. Oh, it isn't. And, and so it is a process. Uh, for most of our clients, 60 days in, it's pretty clear if we're kind of trending in the right direction or not. And, you know, one of the things that we have to do very good, do a very good job of in the sales process is managing expectations and making sure clients know that like, hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't magic. Like you're, you're going to sign an agreement. This agreement has a very detailed timeline and we need you to trust this timeline and trust this process and, you know, know that our goal is to have you be a client forever and ever. And we're not going to skip steps. We're going to do what we know works. And if that means it takes a little longer for you to get the results that you want, you know, we need you to be okay with that um, because our goal is to build a machine that can run in perpetuity. You know, that said, 60 to 90 days in, you're usually getting some good stuff and it's starting to directionally look and feel good within, uh, you know, you know what a sale, you know, you know what your sales cycle is. An outbound sales cycle is typically a little bit longer. So, you know, it's not like 18 months. It's more like, you know, four to six months in, you should start seeing opportunities shape up, maybe a deal uh, actually close. Um, certainly within 12 months, you know, it should be pretty clear cut. You know, with our clients, you know, we'll typically start with a six-month pilot 
when a client comes up for renewal on a six-month pilot, it, there's usually some data to justify it. And that's like, oh, well, we closed the deal that paid for this five times over. We're good to go. Uh, sometimes there isn't, but there's enough sort of, oh, you've handed off 70 leads and you know 10 of these are actually at the proposal stage. There's enough good stuff here. Yeah. By the time you've you've worked with us for 12 months, it's math, right? And that's where we love to be. And um, it's like, oh, well, this we know that you guys generate this much activity. And I know that I turn that activity into this much revenue. Can I give you more money to generate more activity? Uh, or maybe like I, this is exactly where I needed to be. And, you know, we, we like to kind of be subject to that because it takes a lot of the guesswork out. For our team and for our clients. Early on, there's certainly sort of the delicate process of building the machine and building trust and relationship with the client. But once we get rolling, you know, the numbers should tell us what to do. Uh, and if we're doing a good job, we know and you know. And if we're doing a bad job, we know and you know. <laughs> and believe believe me, we know. And, you know, we're probably well ahead of you in terms of our efforts to fix it. Right. Even that description of the cadence helps me wrap my head around how big the market, the people you're reaching out to need to be like how big that group needs to be for this to work for months on end. Right. Like that's a, that's a really good thought experiment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we like to, you know, we have to turn over a lot of rocks. Right. And, you know, if your target, target universe is a thousand, a thousand people, we're not a good fit for it. Right. Um, you know, there, there is a, a, place for us to do work that can be impactful. Uh, at some point we'll we'll carve out a product that's, you know, maybe the 90 day rev boss or the, you know, kind of like the the six month cleanse or whatever. But it's it's hard to kind of build like a a like perpetual motion machine in a in a really small market, at least kind of the way we run it, versus yeah. you know, we have clients that sell into the Shopify ecosystem. It's like, okay, well there's tens of thousands of those and we could just run that for eternity. There's so many new ones there's coming new on ones board every day. and yeah. yeah, companies growing and changing and, and like that's where we really love to be. Do you have a heuristic for when you can go back to a lead that's gone cold? So you've been working with my company for the last two years and at like at what point can you go back to that original prospect that you reached out to, you know, two years ago? Oh, geez, way sooner than that. Um, okay. 90 days, four months uh, at the earliest, probably. And certainly if the messaging is new, approach is new, um, uh, often like the persona we send as might be new. Like today I might send as... Mike, 90 days from now, I might send as somebody else on your team or some fictitious avatar that we've created. People don't remember. And we, we use that to our client's advantage. Uh, and, and the other reason is we, in, I mean, you receive prospecting emails and you've, you've probably read the sort of rule of thumb that you need to, you know, prospect needs to be exposed to your message eight times or 47 times or whatever it is. We don't do any more than three. So everything we do is an email flow. It's a day zero email, like a day two or three, and then maybe a day eight or day 12 or day 14, and that's it. So we don't browbeat clients with, 
or we don't browbeat prospects with seven emails over seven weeks or thank you seven emails over 20 days like that's just annoying and stupid uh, we used to do that <laughs> we used to uh, and we kind of figured out that hey people hate getting the seventh email uh, and breakup emails don't work and all of these like manufactured sort of psychological sort of do or die email moments they don't work they're just annoying and they're not genuine and they're self-serving so we do no more than three we'll frequently just do two and what that does for us and for our clients is that people don't hate people don't hate us <laughs> people don't recognize like oh yeah this is that jerk that's emailed me every day for the past you know week or every week for the past two months uh and so that means that we can usually come back around with a friendly uh, offer, you know, maybe four months later and take a second crack at it. So you're through the MVP kind of startup phase now looking at scale. What's been the biggest challenge you and or the team has faced uh, up to this point? I mean, getting uh, service delivery right has been the biggest challenge that will always yeah, I mentioned like the, the goodness of, of this type of business that we are, you know, we don't have SaaS scale, right? And it, you know, when we add more clients, we need more humans on our side to make the work go and kind of figuring out that model has been tough. Uh, and a lot of it has been kind of team structure and workflow management and what should our software do to enable our team. And we've gotten way, way better. And I think that we'll just keep getting way better in ways that we haven't figured out yet. Uh, I think that the model that we're running now will probably get us 2x from where we are today. But, you know, the game changes and, you know, what got you to here won't get you to there. And, And so we'll probably have to keep fighting that battle. The other thing that's that I can kind of see down the road that's going to be a challenge for us is product investment in, in innovation and in, in engineering. You know, we we have a small dev team and the product is core to what we do and we can kind of cut some corners and ignore some things because we are kind of an internal only product for the most part outside of there's a reporting dashboard for our clients. There's lots, you know, our clients log into RefBoss and do things. Um, but the core work comes from our team. You know, we're going to have to keep pushing things there because, you know, just like service delivery, the product does what it does now and it suits us well. But, you know, when I envision a rev boss with double the number of clients, you can just look at some of the reporting pages in the app that are like, well, this page is not going to work with, with you know, 200 clients on the list versus, you know, you know, 80 or 90 clients on the list. What are your thoughts I guess this is less about challenges, more about maybe some trends. What are your thoughts around SMS and the trend there as it you know as it moves to becoming one of the dominant platforms for communication for a certain class of people and or other messaging platforms, which in your world I think could easily be like LinkedIn or something like that. What are your as a as a company? What are your thoughts around how you guys handle that in the future? So we do some work for some clients inside of LinkedIn. Certainly don't have the link. 
you, you can't scale LinkedIn like you can email and other channels. And so the work we do there is very tactical, very clever, actually. Like we've kind of figured out some ways to use the platform that are super impactful, that don't require, you know, annoying spam invitations. Uh, it's a lot more kind of social engineering using connections and references and referrals. Uh, and so we do that for a handful of clients. We'll probably do more of that uh, as we go. SMS, we've never touched it. And I don't know enough about it to, to have an opinion one way or the other. Maybe I should. <laughs> other trends uh, that you guys are looking at when you think of, you know, next five, 10 years, what are the things that you and your team are looking at to say, we need, you know, maybe it's not real yet, but we need to keep an eye on it and stay in front of it? Um, not really. <laughs> and, and you're allowed to say, remember when I said we just broke 2 million? We're very focused on scaling the team that we have. Yeah, I mean, I've got so many problems and opportunities right in, in front of me that like five years from now, like, yeah, like the five to 10 year plan is it's like, all right, how do I keep from going insane running a business with a growing team and growing challenges and in being a good husband and a good friend and a good father to three. Like those are the challenges I think about over a 10 year horizon. Um, you know, the sort of tactical kind of legion thing, honestly, like my team, uh, drives that our clients drive that, uh, we have a handful of clients that just bring us good ideas and we're like, Oh yeah, let's try it, man. I don't know if it'll work, but well, let's find out, you know, I'm, I know a lot about what we do and lead gen and growth, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm sort of thought leader, lead gen, super genius. Um, I just try things and I'll take, you know, ideas as they come. And sometimes I'll, you know, sometimes I'll come up with it. Sometimes the team will come with it. Sometimes the client will bring it to us, but we'll try it. And if it works, awesome. This is our new innovation for the week. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we, we just kind of have that type of culture and approach internally. It's like, you know, I, I know what I think. I know what you think. I care more about what your prospects think than this client. So, yeah, let's give it a go. If it works, great. We'll, we'll do it. We'll keep doing it. We might take it to, to 90 other clients that, that might want to try this. That's awesome. How old are your kids? Uh, eight, six, and three. Eight, six, and three. I'm right there with you. I have a, a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. How do you, uh, any tips or tricks to finding balance between scaling the startup and finding time for family? Yes. And man, I, I, this is becoming my most favorite thing in the world to talk about with other startup parents. And it's behavior that I'm incredibly proud to model for my team. I am purposefully imbalanced for my family. Every uh, Monday and Wednesday, I leave at four o'clock and I take my son to soccer practice. I coach my, my right now he's got some, my, my son is my oldest. I have two daughters. Uh, I coach his basketball team. I like, I leave work at least once a week for a kid thing. And I don't care what I got going on. If I need to, like work is number two behind my family, like every day, every time I don't go home and crank it till midnight. 
I go home and I put my laptop down and my phone down and I just be dad till my kids go to bed. And, you know, maybe I'll reply to email for half an hour. But you know what? Email's going to be there when I get to my desk at 8 a.m. the next morning. I don't, I don't try to sort of balance it. I am like family first by light years. And, you know, work's going to always be there. And that doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't mean I don't try and care very, very deeply. Uh, it's just that, you know, young kids are going to be young for just a period of time. And, you know, work's, work's just work. And it's, it's a part of who I am, but certainly not the most important part. I'm very glad I asked that question now. Where where do you think that came from? Did you learn that from your parents? Did you yeah. figure that out the hard way? What What's driving that? My parents were both super involved. Um, my dad coached me until I got too good for him to coach me <laughs> in, in basketball and baseball all the way through. And yeah, just coming up, like my dad was my coach and my dad took me to practice. And it's like, well, that's just how it is. And that's how it will be. And, you know, I don't know that I've even, I don't know that there's a price in terms of your work. Like if I worked at a big company and I had to show a lot of FaceTime and, you know, play the game, then yeah, there's probably a cost to doing it the way that I do it. But, you know, the reason that I love building, building rep boss and the reason that I love building companies is sort of the freedom and flexibility to kind of write your own story and do it your own way. And there has been no cost to RevBoss or my career uh, as a result of sort of this decision to kind of invest so heavily. And I'm trying to figure out ways that I can do more. Like uh, with my son, it's very easy because he's like a total sports nut. And so am I. My daughters aren't. And I've got to figure out like, what's the thing that I can do for them to show the level of sort of love and investment that I know that they will recognize when they're older in the same way that I recognize, you know, what my father and my mother did for me and my, my siblings. That's awesome. Well said. All right, Eric, uh, this has been awesome. I know I got to let you go. Uh, if folks would like to get a hold of you or learn more about RevBoss, where can they do that? Uh, revboss.com, R-E-V-B-O-S-S.com. And I'm Eric at revboss.com and I'm on LinkedIn and in uh, Instagram, if you can find me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Well, Eric, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, Startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.